You're listening to the Well Women Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's cycle health educator. Together, we're normalizing periods, cracking open real body talk, and femme rising the future. I'm here to remind you that your body is amazing. You can achieve balance, and body confidence all begins with your menstrual cycle. Get ready, beautiful. You're about to learn how to confidently reconnect with your body and discover your unique flow. You're listening to episode 140 of the Well Woman podcast. Welcome to the episode about fibroids. Fibroids, everything you need to know with Dr. Steffi Dornellis. Now, fibroids, I really feel that these are one of the most untalked about elements of the menstrual cycle and menstrual cycle challenges. Like, let me ask you the question. Do you know what a fibroid is? Do you know where fibroids come from and why they form in the first place? This is something that needs to be talked about. So I've welcomed to this episode, Dr. Steffi. She is a naturopathic doctor and founder of the Fibroid Code. She is a women's health expert and has a deep passion for helping women learn more about their bodies, especially how their hormones and menstrual cycles are connected to their overall health. Now, As a naturopathic doctor, she has the honor of blending both medicine and modern science with natural therapies to look at her patients through a holistic lens. She personally has been through her own fibroid journey and works with many patients who experience fibroids of all different sizes and different severities. And this is why I couldn't have thought of a better person to chat with us about fibroids. So in this episode, you will discover what are fibroids, signs that you may have a fibroid or fibroids, symptoms of fibroids and where they come from, how you can test for fibroids to discover if that's what you have. Sometimes this is something that can help either rule out endometriosis or rule out PCOS and other PMS signs or cycle sign symptoms. We also chat about in this episode the importance of estrogen balance and how we can reduce high estrogen levels if we are experiencing high levels or excess estrogen along with how fibroids can affect our menstrual cycle, our menstrual experience, and of course, our menstrual time, our bleeding time. And then lastly, how to start your own fibroid healing journey if you've been told you have a fibroid. So I trust you'll enjoy this episode as much as I did chatting with Dr. Steffi. And if you have a fibroid or know someone who does or are experiencing challenges with your menstrual cycle, this helps give you a little bit more clarity about what you may be experiencing. Today's episode is sponsored by my Reset Your Cycle Masterclass Series, a three-part live class series to transform your menstrual cycle, increase your cycle confidence, and help you create a deeper connection with your monthly cycle overall. These three live classes cover understanding your hormones, how they change throughout your four phases of your cycle, and how they contribute to how you feel cycle disruptors and what you can do about them. You know, those things that throw your cycle out, you don't really know where they are, what they do, but you would like to learn how to balance them. We cover that in class two. And class three is all about your cycle and contraception. The good, the confusing, and how to choose a contraceptive method that serves you and your health goals. Throughout this three live class series, you'll also receive bonus gifts, resources, PDF guides, and guidance and support to helping you reset your cycle. Head over to wellsome.com forward slash shop to learn more. That's W-E-L-L-S-O-M-E.com forward slash shop and use the code cycle love to save 20% off. Dr. Steffi, welcome to the Well Woman podcast. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. I am very much looking forward to diving into this topic. So thank you for joining us all the way from Toronto, Canada. Yes. 
Now, before we jump into it, tell us what day of your cycle are you on and how are you checking in today? Yeah. So I'm actually on day one. My flow just started today and um, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling a little lower energy. So I'm, I'm honoring that. So I imagine after this interview, I'll probably just go rest and, and listen, listen to my body. Fantastic. What alignment day one. Yeah. I love when, when you're like, Oh, I've got so much on my schedule. Why is my period here? It's like, Oh, actually my period is going to give me some great wisdom with all this stuff I have on today. (laughs) For sure. It'll, It'll make you check in. Yes. Yeah, totally. Now, Tell us, who is Dr. Steffi Ornelis? Mm-hmm. So I'm a naturopathic doctor in, in Toronto, and I have a very unique story on how I got here. When I first went to university, I didn't even know what a naturopathic doctor was. Um, I was on the road to medicine, and for whatever reason, midway through my undergraduate degree, I realized mm, it's just not aligning. I don't have anything against the conventional system, but I just knew it wasn't for me. And after that, I started to explore different things and somehow came across naturopathic medicine. And that's when my my eyes just really opened up and I saw the holistic view of looking at health where it's not just, you know, take this and symptoms go away. It's really understanding the roots, the why and having a collection, a collection of things to help you heal. Once I was exposed to that, I just knew that that's the the road I was going down. And it was at such divine timing because around that time I was actually diagnosed with a fibroid and I didn't know what to do. So me entering naturopathic medical school at that same time really gave me a lot of insight and clarity, um, which we're gonna get into today, um, to really have helped my hormonal journey. So this is why I have such a deep connection with helping women with hormones and hormone education is because I also have my own personal experiences with it. Mm, I love that. And it's when you, I find a lot of people who are in the health industry and who have this extreme passion have all had some of their own personal journey, regardless of whether it's been really deep in depth, long, Mm -hmm. you know, over a few years, or even it was just like a short little thing. So I love that because it kind of allows allows you to have the the personal experience of being one a patient or a client, but then also being the person who's helping. So yes, tell us about that experience because we're going to talk about fibroids today, mm-hmm. and I really feel that fibroids, as I was saying before we hit record, is one of the aspects of the menstrual cycle and the endocrine system that is just not really talked about. Most people don't even know about it or classify it as a challenge mm-hmm. with the menstrual cycle or the endocrine system. So what was your journey? Like, how did you discover that you had a fibroid? And then we'll talk about what fibroids are. Mm -hmm. So for me, even um, I would say like traditionally from when I was 13 to my mid twenties, I had really, really bad period cramps. They were just every month. It was something that I experienced in that time. I didn't have the knowledge. So I'd be taking um, ibuprofen every month. And for one month in particular, I was just feeling a lot more pressure in my lower abdomen. And I'm like, I just knew that something wasn't normal. So when I went to my doctor, we, we got an ultrasound and they told me at 25 that I had a fibroid, which was, was, and it was pretty big. And I remember when they told me that it's just, it's like the floor was removed from underneath me because there I was in my mid twenties thinking fibroids only happen when you're older. And my doctor just said, you know, 
your, your mom has them. So it could be hereditary. There's really not much you can do. Um, if you want to be pregnant, pregnant in the future, then maybe we can talk about it. Other than that, my doctor didn't really have any, any answers for me. So that's kind of just was my experience is more of, this is your diagnosis. There's nothing really to do. And there's no connections that were made that were made for me. So that really, you know, turned on my curiosity for me to figure out, okay, this didn't just happen out of nowhere. Yes, my mom had that experience, but I still felt I was too young to, to have experienced that. So that's when I started going down the little rabbit hole of figuring out why fibroids happen. Mm, Super interesting. Now, did your mom actually have fibroids? She did. So my mom had, um, she actually had to have a hysterectomy, which many women um, experience with fibroids. She had multiple ones um, where she was bleeding so severely and significantly that um, at that point in her life stage, she's like, you know what, let me just take out my uterus. And it was helpful for her. Mm. Um, so yeah, go ahead. No, I was just thinking it's super interesting. I've got a client in cyclical, which is the six month certification course to becoming a certified menstrual cycle coach that I run. And, you know, she's 55 and she didn't have fibroids, but her, she was never blessed with the opportunity to have children because her uterus she had a hysterectomy so young. And I love that she's in the course learning about how to teach other women and menstruators about the menstrual cycle because, you know, she's like, I missed all of these years. Mm-hmm. So I think that's so divine and, and unique. But it's really unfortunate that a lot of women and menstruators discover that they think that's the only option. Yes. So I know that that happened to your mom, but obviously with you, you went down a different path once mm-hmm. you discovered that you had a fibroid so let's talk about what what is a fibroid because mm-hmm. I'm sure there's people like what are they talking about <laughs> yes exactly right um so a fibroid is is uh, a non-cancerous tumor okay. and that that tumor grows in in your uterus so depending on where it is in your uterus um, can often um, influence symptoms. The thing with fibroids, some women don't even realize that they have them um, until they're pregnant and are in the middle of that ultrasound. And they're like, oh, you have fibroids or some women have symptoms. Um, so it's essentially a non-cancerous tumor that women get in their uteruses And so the reason many women could think that they have them, we can go through some of the common symptoms that you might think or to might indicate you have a fibroid. So one of them could be um, very heavy bleeding. I find that's often um, one of the most popular or common um, symptoms. When you're you're bleeding more than seven days, you're going through overnight um, um, pads or tampons within a couple hours. Um, If you're using menstrual cups, you're filling those very quickly. That's often a sign of heavy bleeding. And sometimes that could be from fibroids. Another symptom, common symptom is period pain. Because there is this um, tumor, which is like a growth and like what I call an overgrowth, when your uterus is contracting or with your period, because there's something there, it can be contributing to some of the the symptoms Mm. uh, or to the pain, I should say. Another very common thing is also just having feeling of pressure. And this is a symptom that I had where sometimes we have 
I'm sure many menstruators can relate. You can feel almost this downward pressure of when your, your uterus is cramping or when you have, when you have your period, but this pressure that can come with a fibroid, it just almost feels like something is there when it's not supposed to be. Mm. So that is often a sign that there could actually physically be something there, which potentially could be a fibroid. And sometimes that pressure can show up um, during intercourse. If when having sex, sometimes you notice that it's like you're feeling something that just feels off and different. Sometimes that can be indicative that there's a fibroid there. Oh, these are such good little highlighting signs because the amount of people who just message me on Instagram is like, I've been bleeding for 10 days and this is really weird and I don't know why this is happening. Is this normal? <laughs> um, and I, I think it just comes back, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that even when you're mentioning, it's kind of like you feel the dullness. And mm-hmm. I was trying to explain to my partner, we were away one, like two cycles, three cycles ago when my period arrived, I was away and we'd been set to go hiking on this big hike for this specific day. Mm. Now I wouldn't normally hike on, on my period at, mm-hmm. like at all. I normally like take complete rest. And I was like, no, I can do it. So I'm not like fighting on soldiers. So I was like, no, we can manage it. So we walked and then, you know, it was a long walk. So I'd stop and we'd sit and we'd have a rest and then we'd keep going. And so he's like, but what does it actually feel like for a woman when they're menstruating? And it's actually something that's really hard to describe it is, to a non-menstruator yeah. who's never had the experience. And I said, it's kind of like you're carrying, you know, like a one kilo. Um, I don't know, that doesn't, for us, it makes sense. But if you don't um, go off the kilo metrics, um, you know, something that weighs like enough of, you know, a big can of food mm-hmm. and, you know, you're just holding it, but you've got to hold it all day. And then mm-hmm. you've got to hold it for three days and it's not hard to hold mm-hmm. and it's not super heavy, but over time it becomes a little bit dull. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, you've got this dull bum bag sitting in front of your, like your navel space or between your hips. I said, that's kind of what it feels like, but when you're moving, you don't have any muscle contraction. No. <laughs> so yeah. you, you don't have the ability of stability when you're, when, when you're on your period. And so having the awareness is all about, you know, being able to connect intuitively with yourself. But you mentioned that sometimes it feels like there's something else there, but I would suggest most menstruators aren't intuitively connected enough to even notice that. Yeah. And this is where discussions and conversations like this are great just to really help build that awareness and to help menstruators really just start connecting more with, with, with our bodies. Because I even think just as a society, we're kind of taught to disconnect where it's just, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's your period coming. That's quote unquote supposed to happen. And all of those symptoms just get collected in this basket. And it's just, that's just what's supposed to, to be when it's not the case, the more you're feeling what your body's experiencing, the more you can connect with, okay, this is actually a messenger of my body trying to talk to me and tell me something. Mm, I love that. I call that the little, I call them cycle signs. You know, your body's knocking on your front door being like, hello, is there anybody in there? Is anyone yes, listening? Exactly. Um, so I, so I absolutely love that. So once you discovered that you had fibroids, back mm-hmm. to your story, what was the next step? Like what was recommended to you, but, you know, by your doctor at the time? And then what did you decide was going to be the best path for you in managing healing and, you know, 
working with fibroids. Mm-hmm. So my family doctor, they really just had like what you would call a watch and wait approach as in this is what you have. There's really nothing to do for it right now because it it wasn't causing significant symptoms. But then now I think back, like, I don't know if that could have been adding to my pain and heavy bleeding at that time. So that was my medical doctor's approach. And then when I was in schooling, I wasn't seeing a naturopath. And at that time, I kind of just almost shelved my fibroid. I'm like, okay, let me work more on my period pain first. And it wasn't until I started going into deeper into naturopathic school where we would talk about topics like fibroids, where it kind of just started coming back to the surface for me. And that's when I really started to think of or seeing that there's a big hormonal influence on fibroids. So one of them being this is we can almost get into what could be contributing to fibroids, but one of them being um, estrogen. When our body holds on to an excess amount of estrogen, it causes things to grow. And if for whatever reason, um, that signal is getting sent to the uterus and there's other confusing signals happening, it's going to tell the uterus to grow more than it's supposed to. And that's when these non-cancerous growth, non-cancerous growths start being created. Mm. So that there, that's where that hormonal aspect comes from, where for majority of women that experience fibroids, for whatever reason, their body is holding on to that estrogen. So that is a big part of um, what I discovered in naturopathic school, because it was almost opposing to, you know, what the conventional system sometimes can offer, because sometimes they offer for women who want to preserve their fertility to go on the oral birth control pill, which can have synthetic estrogens in it, which potentially could feed its growth. Mm. And then depending on whether they're having a pill bleed or a non like, or not a pill bleed, then that can sometimes not help a like a menstruator notice, even though it's not a real menstruation, mm-hmm. that they might have a fibroid because the symptoms of fibroids, like heavy bleeding, bleeding the longer than, you know, five, seven days, excessively mm-hmm. bleeding, period pain, mm-hmm. you know, they're not getting those experiences because they're not actually doing that or experiencing that in the first place. So, exactly. yeah, okay. Yeah. A bit of a band-aid, uh, really a band-aid approach. Yes, it's that's it's really, I would say, what it is. It's something mm. where... And, you know, I, I tell my patients this, it's, I think it's just, they don't have that awareness and they're, they're, um, I'll say the conventional system serves its purpose in certain things, but when it comes to the endocrine hormone, women's, um, or menstruators hormonal cycle, that it's, it's one of those things where they're just looking strictly at that. And if it, if the, if the pill or an IUD doesn't fit in that, you're kind of just left to, to your own devices to figure out what to do. Mm, That's so, ah, as a natural fertility um, educator and and coach, you know, and and teaching natural contraception, that just makes my tires spin a little bit because there are so many other ways, but at the same time, all doctors only know what they know. So exactly. it's not their fault or there's mm-hmm. no one's, it's not um, an issue that it's not, doesn't make them a good doctor. It's just, they only know what they know. And even if you think of like an obstetrician, mm-hmm. an obstetrician is a doctor who's trained mm-hmm. for surgery for birth. Yes. Not trained in natural birth, no. which is what a midwife is trained in. So 
it doesn't mean that the obstetrician is bad or other doctors are bad because they don't know, you know, other alternatives apart from what they've been taught. They just know what they know. So that's where it's really up to us to decide, okay, is this in alignment with me or do I want to look elsewhere for other alternates? And some people do like looking for alternates, some people don't. So this is where I guess you come in and all the work that you do. But this is so interesting to understand why the body would grow a fibroid in the first place and how that actually happens. So you mentioned excess um, estrogen. Whenever I think of excess estrogen, I think liver health. Yes. <laughs> you know, I just like, yes. so do and I. I call, I call the, I call the liver like the mothership of the body. You know, yes. it's like the organizer, the sorter, it deals with all the crap literally. Mm-hmm. So um, how would someone know if they're having symptoms of a fi- of fibroids, like you mentioned the list, mm. if they're having that and then they go to the doctor to get tested, how can they know if they do have excess estrogen? Like what's the best way to test if you do have fibroids? Like how can you discover that? Yes. So the best way to discover with if you have fibroids is to go for an ultrasound. So the ultrasound, it would want to be a pelvic one or what we call a transvaginal one. That is what we call the gold standard because we need to visually see the uterus to see if there's, if there are, if there is something physically there, Mm. that really would be the only way to determine if you have a fibroid or not. And the thing with that is sometimes you can have symptoms of a fibroid, but you might not actually have a fibroid. So that's where it can get confusing because there is there can be overlap between symptoms. So going, if you suspect you do, it's the thing with an ultra, an ultrasound, they're usually pretty um, easy and accessible um, where you can ask your doctor. And it's one of those things you can have results in a couple of days and then you're, you would know if you do or not. Yeah. Ultrasounds are generally the best way. Same with endometriosis, same with PCOS. You know, I, like I used to have PCOS so yeah, um, def and the even though some ultrasounds, particularly like vaginal ultrasounds, can feel a little bit invasive, but mm-hmm. you know with PCOS they're looking at the follicles and they're looking at your follicle count and mm-hmm. you know what's what's your follicle health. It's the same thing, and so it's much better than them cutting you open and looking inside. Yeah, you know, so if you can sit through a five minute ultrasound and be mm-hmm. able to get photos of directly what you need to see, mm-hmm. I think that it's a much more appropriate. I guess, way of finding out. So that's fantastic. And I guess most people can just go to a doctor and, you know, and get a referral. Um, you know, it depends on where you live in the world, but most people can just get a referral to, to get an ultrasound. So, which that's, that's awesome. Now, once you have fibroids mm-hmm. and then we're looking at like excess estrogen, so maybe mm-hmm. looking at liver health, like what are the core things that we would like to work with in our health mm-hmm. so that we can go, okay, how can we, help get rid of fibroids? Like, can you even get rid of them in the, like at all? Yes, that is a great question. So the thing with fibroids, because it is an actual physical overgrowth, sometimes it can be hard for that to shrink or disappear depending on its size. Unfortunately, that that is just the reality of it, um, where this isn't um, backed by like stats, but I could only speak from my experience with patients. What I find is sometimes when fibroids are small, they can have more potential of shrinking versus ones that are bigger. So anything bigger than five centimeters, my goal with patients is not necessarily to make it disappear, but we don't want it to grow bigger and we don't want new ones to start growing 
to be growing because sometimes you can have multiple fibroids. It's often not just one. So you can still have a lot of power in that because if you can slow down the process that created it, then that's a huge, a huge win. So working on things like your liver health is so, so important for fibroids. That would be probably one of the number one things we have to look at is, okay, why is your liver struggling to let go of that extra estrogen? I have to interrupt this episode to let you know that today is sponsored by my five-day Love Your Cycle mini course. This is a self-paced course to teach you the foundations and fundamentals of your menstrual cycle in less than a week. If you are a woman looking to rediscover your cycle, reconnect with your feminine in a new way, understand your cycle signs and what they mean, this is the mini course for you. Receive daily educational class videos and audios, along with action steps, cycle tracking guides, cycle prompts, and the Love Your Cycle 50 page ebook and audiobook. This is your chance to discover the things that you wish you had have been taught about your cycle at school, how to eat how to move, honoring your emotions, and identifying PMS and cycle signs before they arise. It's your turn to join thousands of women from all over the world who have already taken this course to reclaiming and reconnecting with their bodies. And you can do this too for less than a fancy vegan burger in under a week. To learn more, head to wellsome.com forward slash shop. That's W-E-L-L-S-O-M-E.com forward slash shop. And use the code CYCLELOVE to save 20% off. I was just thinking as you were saying that, that the liver governs so much in your body. It's not just this. No. So if this is one thing that can be rebalanced, you know, when we look at the liver health, then what are the, all the other things that we could possibly do? So what can someone do if they do have fibroids to support their liver health? Yes. So one of the number one things I would say is to be eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, specifically what we call the brassica family of vegetables. So the brassica family, I say is the broccoli family. Those veggies really support liver health. So we want to be having things like broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, um, kale, all of those type of greens. The more we have that in our daily and weekly diets, the better it is for, for our body, because it's literally giving liver the food it needs to work properly. Cause when we're not offering the liver, the good stuff, then the liver almost, because it's doing a million tasks, it start it's going to start getting sluggish and tired. So I would say that's the easiest thing you can add in. What I find for a lot of modern menstruators it's, it's not necessarily what they're adding in, in terms of to help the liver. It's sometimes stuff we got to take out. So often when people hear about liver health, they automatically assume alcohol. And yes, that is true. Your liver manages alcohol. So if you are drinking alcohol often, it's going to slow down the efficiency of your liver. Your liver is always working. We just want it to work at its optimum. So by taking away the alcohol, um, that'll be an important thing because not only is it going to help your liver, but alcohol can also increase estrogen as well. So it slows down your liver, but then also can directly increase estrogen. So that's kind of a thing where, okay, if you really get serious about alcohol intake, um, that could be a great thing to help fibroids. The other thing is what's in our external environment. 
So this is when we're talking about things like fragrances and plastics, because what happens is those chemicals, our liver still has to manage those and process them. And with those processing at the same time, they're also going to be turning on estrogen cells. So if we can limit that exposure to our body, that's kind of like less things for our liver to have to figure out. Let's say those are some of the more practical and simple ways to already start helping your, your liver. So eating more of the veggies, reducing alcohol intake, and then just taking stock on like, okay, how much plastic am I using? Am I using a lot of scented products? Where can I use more um, naturally scented things with essential oils versus those synthetic um, fragrances? I love all of this. It just goes to show there are so many different ways you can actually slowly improve your health over mm-hmm. time. You don't have to sit down and be like, all right, I'm throwing out all my alcohol and I'm only buying green food for the fridge. You know, it can be very incremental over a period of time. And I think that creates great change. But this is really like really beautiful because you mentioned about how alcohol then can contribute to producing estrogen in the body, right? Mm-hmm. And then also plastics and scented scents and stuff. Is there anything else that can, can that can produce estrogen or contribute to producing estrogen in the body? I would say from an overall kind of um, grand scheme of things is inflammation. In any way, if your body's inflamed, in that inflammation, I know can also be a, an elusive um, word and topic where you hear about this inflammation thing, but like, what does that really mean? So inflammation is something that's created by our immune system to signal that just something is not right. Your body recognizes like, this is good, or this is bad. Essentially, if we want to put it down to the very basics, it's like, yes or no. When our body is coming across certain food, back to food, if there are certain, there's certain foods that carry a little more inflammation than others. So if you're eating a lot of inflammatory foods, your body's going to be sending signals to be like, "Mm -mm, I don't like this. I'm going to create inflammation. When there's inflammation in the system, that's when I say the confusion starts your body gets confused. So that inflammation piece is going to signal to hormones to be like, yeah, I'm not going to work the way we're supposed to. I'm going to turn things on more than they should be, or I'm going to turn things down when they should actually be at a, at a decent level, or I'm going to go to the liver and I'm going to tell the liver, yeah, you actually slow down what you're supposed to be doing because I'm, I'm, I'm the confusion in the system and I'm going to create that imbalance in, in, in essence, in all the different areas of our health. That's what inflammation can do. And that's why it's something you hear about it a lot because in the modern world, we're exposed to so many things that our body recognize as inflammatory. We really are exposed to so many things. And I think, you know, if I really focus on like, what is the biggest imbalance with a menstrual cycle? It's stress. Yes. But stress is there's so many different types of stress. Like you've got financial stress, relationship stress, study stress, family stress. Um, and then you've got stress about what food is the right food for me to eat. And then you have the stress that eating the, like the inappropriate foods puts on your body. So mm-hmm. there's multiple different types of stress. And I love your analogy for inflammation because anytime your body feels unprotected and unsafe, it's kind of like a balloon. It's going to be like, Poop, and puff mm-hmm. itself out and be like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm inflamed. Don't touch me. I'm protecting myself. Yeah. And 
it kind of um, we have them here in like near where I live, but puffer fish. You know, they're little fish and then they just like blow up into a balloon out of nowhere to protect mm-hmm. themselves and to yes. scare everything off. That's what our body kind of can be like when our body's in an inflammatory response. So you gave such a great analogy around that. I think that helps just everyone understand how important it is to just have healthy life basics every day of your life. Yeah, you know, this isn't a chore. It's more like let's just do these things on a daily basis and, you know, it'll contribute to overall health. Exactly. So I'd love to ask the question about how, or firstly, fibroids. Mm -hmm. You mentioned about if they're of five centimetres or bigger, the goal Mm -hmm. is to really just pause the growth Mm -hmm. and maybe long-term they might be able to diminish. Mm -hmm. And then the fibroids that are smaller in that, there is the opportunity at working at fixing or not fixing, but improving all of these things to help Mm -hmm. reduce the fibroid. Is that right? Potentially, yes. So usually okay. I kind of say that as that's something that can happen. It's, it's not necessarily a guarantee because um, it's almost like the fibroid is already grown and it's there. But on the, even when we take a step back, what we would be doing to help fibroids is going to help your hormonal endocrine picture um, immensely so that mm-hmm. things don't start getting even more imbalanced. Yeah, it's a whole picture, really, of your endocrine system. So that, uh, that leads me to the question of like, so if we have fibroids, what do fibroids mean for our menstrual cycle? So how do fibroids impact our fertility? How do Im- um, fibroids impact our ability to ovulate? Mm-hmm. Um, so how does fibroids impact the menstrual cycle? Yes. So because the fibroids are um, in the uterus, it shouldn't affect um, ovulation. So unless the fibroid could be in a part of the uterus that might be close to an ovary, if it was big enough in size, then that would be the only time I would think that it would affect ovulation. Otherwise, fibroids are something that typically doesn't affect that part of of fertility. For some women, and now this is, it's very individual. I always like saying that because I understand many people can be on fertility journeys. And if they hear they have a fibroid, they might automatically think, oh my gosh, I'm going to have issues. And that isn't always the case. So it is important to really understand where it is in your, in your body, because some women um, can have multiple fibroids and have healthy pregnancies and there's not, no um, interventions needed, at least um, more um, invasive, in, invasive interventions. But then sometimes depending on the size and location of a fibroid, sometimes they can or have to be surgically removed in order for a baby to grow. So that's when it really is individualistic. And that's where it's important to have those discussions with your, your doctor. And if you have someone that, that manages holistic health care, having both of them working together versus just one or one or the other, because it's important to work as a team, especially if surgery is involved. Teamwork makes the dream work around this stuff for yes. sure. Yes. <laughs> um, no, this is really beautiful. When you said um, about intervention, I was just thinking about, you know, having your fibroid removed whenever I think about removing something from the body is that that hasn't stopped why the body produced it in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to come back. So a lot of women I could imagine or menstruators who have had a fibroid removed have most likely had a fibroid come back or have had more fibroids. And so 
that's really just a great sign that, hang on, my body's really saying there's something else going on here. So what are the things we can do to help balance it? And I love that when you do work with your fibroid health, you're actually improving your entire endocrine, you know, structure, not just the fibroids. So that's great to know about ovulation and also pregnancy, because I can, I am very sure that a lot of people would be quite, you know, challenge in thinking or feel like they need to rush into fertility if they discover that they have a fibroid i know some people like that with pcos and endometriosis too it's like oh my god i've got this and so i better do this really really quickly let's do it now mm-hmm. yes <laughs> um, yes but rushing to the finish line doesn't mean it's always the best race it's 100 yeah yeah i agree with that so let's talk about the menstrual cycle and fibroids in terms of like pre-menstruation so that luteal phase that inner autumn phase of your cycle and then also menstruation so Mm -hmm. what's it is it how does it feel like for a woman who does have a fibroid or a menstruator who has a fibroid before they begin bleeding Mm -hmm. so again this depends on the size and location so um one thing that i hadn't mentioned with fibroids they can be in three different areas of the uterus Okay. So they could be on the outside. They can be in the middle of the muscle of the uterus, or they can be on the inside. So depending on where your fibroid or fibroids are often can um, influence how that's going to show up around your periods and the symptoms and things you could be experiencing. So if a fibroid is of a big size, so usually anything bigger than five centimeters, sometimes you can have a little more pain, especially if it's on the outside of the uterus. So you can potentially have cramping or like I was saying, feeling like a downward pressure. Usually if the woman's um, or menstruator's um, fibroid is on the inside of the uterus, that's the type that can really contribute to the heavy, heavy bleeding picture. So if you're, if you're told that the fibroid you have is on the inside of your uterus, then you're more likely to have heavy bleeding. So again, and then some women have fibroids and they don't have any symptoms at all when it comes to their luteal or their, their menstrual phase. So it really is, it really is dependent. Um, and it's something, and this is where things can change too, because if you work on your overall hormonal picture, if you even have the fibroids and we've kind of halted its growth, then sometimes those symptoms um, can disappear. Mm, totally. And I think, you know, mentioning about period pain when your uterus is contracting and it, it's, it's, people don't realize, but your body, when it produces prostaglandins, which then contribute to your body, like your uterus kind of shaking and baking so you can menstruate and mm-hmm. moving things around, they're really like early stages of your body being prepared for a potential labor yes. pregnancy in the future. So everything is happening for a reason. But like you mentioned that all those other things support the endocrine function, therefore they're supporting the menstrual cycle that could support the balance of prostaglandins and the production of prostaglandins, then that can support the, maybe the fact that you need more minerals in your daily life. Mm -hmm. So therefore that helps your body's muscle contraction and relaxation. And so therefore that can contribute to not feeling as as much or in depth period pain. So one thing is never just fixing one thing or helping with one thing. It's like a ricochet effect. It's like it can contribute to multiple things. Have you seen that too? Yes. And that, that is the beauty of really using holistic medicine 
because you often go in getting or asking for help with one thing, but it starts, you know, helping so many and healing so many other areas of, of your health, where it's almost like these bonuses really like you went in for, let's say period pain and fibroids. And next thing you know, all of that's gone and other areas of your health uh, have changed positively. Mm, Totally. And when you do start making these little changes, they become part of your life. And then you end up having amazing endocrine function. And then that contributes to a healthy transition through menopause. Like it's literally just, oh, it all works together. Nothing is individual. So I hope everyone listening is like, oh, that makes so much more sense now. I wonder why I never thought about it like that, Yeah, <laughs> which is I, really good. Yeah. I tell a lot of my patients that where if we're, we're helping your hormones and endocrine system now, so when you're transitioning into menopause, it's going to be smoother because mm. you're going to have things more balanced. It's when things are really out of whack then often women can have some very unpleasant uh, menopausal symptoms. Definitely. And I think also not just out of whack in their body, but out of whack in their mindset around it. And their obviously emotional approach or attachment to things. I think yes. the more fluid you can be with all of that, the, the more balanced your experience can be. Um, so I love all of this. Now, when you find out you've got something, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, my life is over. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so can you give us, as we get ready to wrap up some, you know, top tips to menstruators when they first discover they have fibroids. So when they're sitting at the doctor's office or they're sitting with their <laughs> naturopath or the ultrasound technician, the sonographer, and they're like, I have what, (laughs) you know, and they're freaking out Mm -hmm. because that's natural response. That's okay. Mm -hmm. In that moment, what are the first kind of guiding tips you would give to someone um, before they become Dr. Googling? Mm -hmm. Yes. The Dr. Google. Well, first, (laughs) first I would say, you know, anytime you're receiving like a a medical diagnosis, it's still important to feel whatever feelings you're feeling. Um, Because if we kind of put those to the side, then we could, we could be in denial and that can cause a lot more unrest. So I just want to say like, feel your feelings. If you have a mini freak out, that's okay. But after that, take a couple of deep breaths um, and understand that there are a lot of things you can do. And know that, you know, reaching out to someone like a naturopathic doctor or um, a hormone coach that really specializes in these things, you have many options. And it's often helpful to go to someone because they can be your guide and to show you a path. Everyone's path could be different, but having them there to guide you through and navigate that is more helpful because when you go on Dr. Google, it often spirals you. You don't, you often don't have the context to make sense of some of the stuff that's on Google. And most times after many medical Google searches, it brings you to cancer, to the the worst case scenarios, to dying, all of those things. And yes, right. So it's really, it's helpful to have a coach and someone to guide you through it. Um, so that you don't feel overwhelmed and, and alone in, in it. I think alone is one of the biggest things. It's easy to be overwhelmed. It's easy to talk to your friends about it. But when you do work, and it's just not like me when I'm working with, you know, natural fertility or just someone who's very disconnected with their cycle, if this come off the hormonal contraception, they need guidance back into their body. 
when you have someone who understands what it is that you're going through, may or may not have been through the exact journey as you, but when they understand that and they can actually give you the tips to be like, hey, look, how you feel is actually completely normal. So Mm -hmm. feel that way, but Mm -hmm. know that it's going to pivot and change. And if you do Mm -hmm. these one or two things this week, that's really going to help. And I always say, um, Steffi, that a coach or even like for you, a doctor um, in, with a holistic point of view can see in you what you can't yet see in yourself. Yes. And so they know where you're going, but you're going down the downward spiral right mm-hmm. now. So they're there pulling you out of the quicksand being like, come with me. Mm-hmm. I will lead you to where you need to go. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I couldn't agree um, anymore. And I think having support is actually not a failure, like reaching out and asking for help is actually a sign of, you know, confidence and a sign of growth. So it's mm-hmm. a lot of people get really afraid. Oh, I can't do it on my own. So I feel like I've failed, but you know, we, we weren't born into this world knowing everything. So no. having support's really important. It's huge. Support is, is a huge, a huge thing. And someone that has, yeah, that has the wherewithal to help, to help guide you and to be that mm. compass, to, help, to be that compass for you. And I think with fibroids, this is why I asked you to come and join me on the show is because you're an expert and a complete expert in fibroids. Plus you've had your own fibroid experience, which is beautiful, but you're that person that can guide them. And I know that you've just been working on um, a fibroid course. Is that right? To help really help menstruators and those who have fibroids completely understand the process. So Tell us a little bit about what that includes mm-hmm. um, and how they could find out about it or connect with them, um, connect with you about that program. Yeah. So I've developed the fibroid code and it's an eight week um, path to help, to help menstruators really what I say, unlock the keys to help them with their natural fibroid management, because it's an overwhelming place, as we know, on the, on the internet. And over these eight week, weeks, I really walk through, okay, this is what to look for. This is what to do. And this is how you can implement some, some of these changes. So after eight weeks, you can really set down the foundations to really help with your hormonal health, to help you with your fibroids. And after those eight weeks, these are things that you just kind of rinse and repeat and build on and, 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 and create that, that lifestyle to help support you through your, through your life with, with fibroids. Awesome. That sounds amazing. And where's the best place for them to, to learn more about that? So you can find me on, on Instagram. Um, and I also have a website link for, for my, for, for my information and also for the fibroid code. Awesome. Well, I will pop all of those links in the notes so people can just connect directly with you to find out more about it. Um, but make sure you do go and check out Dr. Steffi over on Instagram. Um, she's at dr.dr.steffied, as yes. in S-T-E-F-F-E-D. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I do have one final podcast question though. Yes. Shoot. So let's completely flip gears. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your response on this. This is a question I ask all of our guests is I want you to think back, Steffi, to your younger menstruating self. So when you went through menarche, your transition into getting your menstrual cycle, what are three things you wish you had have known then that you now know today? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that it's something that is normal and to just really embrace the changes that you're going through. Um, cause I found that something where I was like, oh my gosh, like what's happening. And that's how I felt. 
The next thing is that your, your period is your superpower, you know, really lean into learning what your body's telling you, um, and to, to understand more about what your cycle can mean versus just writing it off and saying that it's something that you wish you didn't have. And then the third thing is looking into the power of community really sharing your experiences with, with other menstruators can be very enlightening and insightful to know that you aren't alone in a lot of your experiences. Well, that's so beautiful. I actually completely agree with the community because when you're 12, 13, 14, 15, maybe even eight or seven, when you get your first period, you're like, don't want to talk to anybody about it. If you're really shy, it's not mm-hmm. super celebrated. And I feel like that rite of passage experience is changing, which is mm-hmm. really fantastic. And we're contributing to that. So yay. Yes. Um, but community is everything. So thank you so much for joining us here in this community to share this aspect of menstrual cycles and discussing about fibroids because that helps make it more normalized. So thank you. Yes, yes, it's my pleasure. Thank you so, so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to every episode of the Well Women podcast. I trust you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you got a lot out of it too, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast app. This means together we can inspire, connect and educate even more women. Now, is there a bestie, a sister, or a friend who you know may be frustrated and confused with their health? Are they ready to discover new aspects of themselves too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your social media, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to their ears. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our bodies. And be sure to tag me in it too. Hashtag Well Women Podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.